Welcome to Priority Message Series 1. This podcast is brought to you by the Fire and Rescue Services Association, a trade union within the Fire and Rescue Service that is independent and member-led. You can find out more about FRSA by visiting frsa.org.uk. So welcome to another episode of Priority Message. This is the podcast from the Fire and Rescue Services Association. I'm Becky Barr, a member of the uh, executive board of the FRSA and a whole-time firefighter for Lancashire Fire and Rescue Service as well. Now, today we're joined by Roy Wilshire of uh, His Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary and Fire and Rescue Services. And we're going to be talking about the recent values and culture in the fire service report for which Roy took the lead. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today, Roy. That's okay, no problem. I'm sure you're very busy at the moment with all of this. We'll get into some of the detail of that report very shortly. But for, for anyone that's not read the entirety of the report is pretty long. For anyone that's not read the entirety of the report, what is the one message that you would like firefighters to take from your findings? Well, I think the, 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 probably the one message, uh, and this isn't every fire and rescue service and it's certainly not every fire station, but some of the behaviours and some of the values that we uncovered uh, through our evidence during this report are really unacceptable. They have been since I joined the service back in 1981, but even more so now. And where these behaviours are still evident, they need to stop. Okay. So, um, as you mentioned, you've got a long heritage in more various fire services over Mm -hmm. the years, from London in 1981, working your way right up to to Chief Fire Officer in Hertfordshire, and then on to lead the National Fire Chiefs Council, and obviously now where you are. You've got lots of experience of of all of these issues from various ranks within these organisations. So that really does give you, I guess, a different view to some other people in the inspectorate to, to, to qualify you for this. Um, the inspection reports that have been coming out for a couple of decades now um, and your report recently suggest that change is happening, but it's just happening incredibly slowly, isn't it, in, in the fire service nationally. What's the roadblock? Oh, I think, uh, yeah, if, if we could... Uh... If we can name a single road, roadblock, then uh, we could all uh, get on and do something else, couldn't we? But, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, frog in the throat. Yeah, it's, I think there's there's a number of things, really. If you look back at uh, the history of the Fire and Rescue Service, if you go way back to the early 2000s and the Bain Review and lots of the changes that happened there, um, you go back to those reports, I think, Fire and Rescue Services sometimes struggle to uh, get into the political and public psyche. It's, it's, it's something I'd tell my colleagues uh, at HMIC FRS. If, uh, you know, every one of us will know something about crime. We've been a victim or we know a victim. We all often use the health service in some form. Most of us go on the roads with the potholes. A lot of us are connected to education, welfare with different relatives, most people go through their life and never have contact with the fire and rescue service. So getting that um, focus on uh, improvement, that focus on development in fire and rescue service can be awkward. And you mentioned reports have been a couple of decades. Actually, 
our organisation, HMRC FRS, have only been inspecting fire rescue services since 2018. There was a fire inspectorate up until about 2004. Then things went to localism. So it, the first round, and many people have heard me say this, I think the first round was the inspectorate getting used to fire again and fire getting used to being inspected again. I think round two was a much better focus. And we've just now started round three. That's going to be an even closer focus. And I think as we all get used to this inspection regime, we will start to see improvement because we are all after the same thing. We're all after improved services for the public. But the, the way to achieve those improved services, even if it is what everyone wants, isn't straightforward, is it? I mean, I guess for the inspectorates, that your job is to inspect, to reflect, to report back, but you don't have the powers or the or the role of enforcing that change do you which i think is is difficult maybe for civvy street to understand that it's not your job to actually make that happen and what is the correct way to bring about those changes in reality is this a failure of governance that change isn't happening even though it's being flagged um I think some governments has something to do, and you're quite right, we are an inspectorate, we're not a regulator, we can make recommendations, our power is in our voice, you would have heard many times saying, and people listen to us, uh, especially in the police constabulary, we've been doing that for over 160 years, so they're very much used to this. Uh, I think people don't want to have poor grades, and they don't want to have recommendations uh, that say they're not doing the job they should do. Uh, but there's many things. I think going from, you know, when people are recruited to uh, fire rescue services, you know, no background checks, we talked about that, how misconduct is dealt with, and we've seen different levels of way misconduct is dealt with, um, having difficult conversations. I mean, I know you said earlier, I'm used, I know how difficult it is to be a watch manager, commander, station officer when I was doing it back in the day, because you are, you're in, you're part of that inverted commas, that family. So it's difficult sometimes to be the manager commander of a watch rather than be part of the watch. And I know that's difficult. Uh, it's difficult to ensure all your middle managers, commanders, whether they're wearing a uniform or not, are doing the right thing. It's And cultural change is difficult, but you know, a lot, it comes down to recruitment, it comes down to training, it comes down to governance, it comes down to setting standards and maintaining those standards, and it comes down to having difficult conversations when you need them. And who is the right body to enforce that, ultimately? If if these, uh, this sort of inertia or very slow change persists, whose responsibility should it be to make it happen? Well, that responsibility lies very much with... The, the chief fire officers and the fire authorities, mm. you know, the employers. That's where the responsibility lays uh, mainly. Uh, then the collective bodies like the unions, like the NFCC uh, and the Home Office have share part of that responsibility, the employers. Yeah, we, we want everyone involved in the fire rescue service sector to work together to improve things for the public and for proof things improve things for people working in the fire and rescue services so yeah. you know, ultimate responsibility with chiefs and fire authorities but everyone had to share some responsibility leadership yeah. starts on the fire station and works its way up and with all the organizations associated 
And there's a lot of uh, recommendations for that leadership, which we'll come to in a moment. When you were chief and bring that knowledge that you have into your current role, what was, in your experience, the most effect, the most effective, um, the most effective people that held you to account that made you think if you were doing the right things as a chief fire officer and made you kind of made you have those difficult conversations when you were doing those jobs. I, it would, that's interesting. So as I came through um, the organisation, through the ranks, later roles, uh, I I had training at every level. I, you know, when the fire service college was the fire service college, mm-hmm. and you know those those courses weren't perfect, but they gave you some training. It is it's possible now to be a chief fire officer without attending any fire specific courses. The, the, you know, executive leadership programs there and it's very good and does very good value but you don't have to do that it's not part of being a chief you know you don't have to go through any of that training uh, which i think is is one matter interesting half charles county council so i was held to account by the um the chief executive there was i actually worked for someone chief executive but also by cabinets uh the politicians uh, held me to account and I, I, i'd like to think that i was um I was open and honest, like to think I was open and honest. Um, and when we had peer assessment back then, peer assessment was I deliberately chose someone who, who I knew. I got on well with, but I knew saw the world from a different end of the telescope than I did. Yeah, but so, that's, a, yeah, that's quite a specific skill, isn't it? Be, being open as a leader, as a senior leader, being open to hearing a view of the world from someone who sees the world from the opposite mm-hmm. end of the telescope. Um, and I guess that loops back around to what you were saying about having a, a college of fire and rescue that can help to harness those skills in leaders as they come through and they have to change this culture that we find ourselves in now. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and it's, it's, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable someone telling you that uh, what you're doing isn't what they think should be done. But, you know, being a good leader at every level, you open, in my view, open your mind to other people's you know, um, opinion, other people's perspectives, uh, other ways of doing things. And my management board used to get bored of me saying it. I was always after improvement. Every time we, you know, we did something well, that was great, but what can we do next? What's the next improvement? How can we move forward? Didn't always get it right. No one ever gets everything right. And, you know, no one knows everything. So you need good people around you. Mm. And that really was a feature, I thought, of the uh, of the report, the values and culture report, is that of of the dozens of recommendations that are in there that are really specific and actionable, a lot of them, almost all of them, are around leadership and process and procedure mm-hmm. in, in the fire service, rather than um, rather than calling for direct change on station why have you chosen to go for those higher level recommendations yeah well although you, you'll recall that one of the recommendations is close monitoring of the watch culture and what's happening on watches and making sure things you know because watches watches can be a very good thing but they can also not be quite so good it, it depends on the culture so i think if you look at our recommendations none of them are earth shattering you you, you know they most of them are relatively easy to implement uh, but they're things that good organizations should be doing you know how you can whistleblow and feel safe in doing it how you deal with misconduct how you do background checks how you give training have difficult conversations you know setting standards 
some change to legislation, which we think is required, but yeah, they're not they're not earth shattering recommendations. You know, they should be relatively easy to implement. And you mentioned a couple that I'd really picked up on there, actually, and things like having DBS checks for, mm-hmm. for members of staff. I think a lot of people, even within the, 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 the ranks, will be surprised that we don't already have nationally have those as, as minimum standards because they seem so straightforward. And obviously, it's, it's a good thing that this has now been, been brought up and is, is being actioned. But what is it about this sector that means we haven't just kept up with some of those basics being implemented as basic standards right across all of the services. Why are we having to catch up now on some of these things that other organisations have been doing for a long time? I, again, I think I don't think there's one simple answer. One of the answers is that all the national institutions were scrapped in the early 2000s. You know, the, the inspector at the Fire Service College was sold off, you know, whether you like them or not, the promotion exams, the progression training, all those things, you know, rather than change, were, were done away with. So no, if you really go back into history, between uh, the Fire Services Act and the first fire and rescue advisor, uh, so Ken Knight, no one was setting any standards for the fire and rescue service. And Ken Knight had a go, then CFO took over and started doing national operational guidance and a few other things, and then NFCC come along to, to fill that gap again now we have the fire standards board now we have the inspectorate back so there was a long time when fire and rescue service was about localism and the volunteer society again if people old like me to remember all those phrases from the 2000s and 2010s um, localism and what localism did was fine in some ways but allowed people to go in their own routes particularly on um, DBS uh, and background checks. Some some services are doing that well, again, at the moment, but some aren't. It's, it's about setting that standard. And to be very fair to uh, my previous colleagues as chief fire officers, it's something that CFOA and then the National Fire Chiefs Council has been pushing for a number of years now for firefighters to come under the Rehabilitation of Offenders Act and be required to have those background checks. Mm. Yeah. So an institutional vacuum, really, over time that has to be caught up with, I guess, now. And that's going to take a while, isn't it, to to start up, you know, a College of Fire and Rescue and for that to assume its role within uh, the consciousness of the Fire and Rescue Services nationally. These aren't overnight solutions, are they? No, they're not. But uh, again, you, you had the National Fire Chiefs Council doing some good work. You've got the Fire Standards Board and standards being set now. Uh, you've got the white paper and reform. I know not everyone supports everything in there, but uh, you know, there is at least a, a push for reform. Uh, and I think if you if you did have a College of Fire as well, not the Fire Service College, but a College of Fire, like every other profession, whether it's paramedics or doctors or midwives or police or anyone that has a college of some kind to help set those national standards, I think it would help the fire rescue service. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So on um, the the issue of leadership and the importance of leadership in maintaining standards and driving through the kind of change that we clearly need to see, according to to your report on the inspection uh, cycle in general, um, your report is critical not of individuals, but critical of the impacts that leadership in the um, fire services is having. What's, 
What's the issue? Do you think we're not getting the right combination of people into those senior leadership jobs? Or is it that we're getting the right people, but they're not able to enact the kind of change at the pace that you and the uh, inspector want to see it? Yeah, you, you, you're going to get bored of me answering this, but it's not a simple answer to, to any of those. Uh, and I, I want to make it very clear that it's not all leaders in the fire and rescue service, the same as it's not all firefighters or other professions working in fire and rescue services. There, there's thousands of excellent men and women doing a really good job in the fire and rescue service, but there's this other minority that needs to be dealt with. So I think the, 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 there's a number of yeah things there. So it's leadership and you go back to the leadership framework, the NFCC leadership framework starts at the very bottom. Even the firefighter has a leadership role. So when we talk about leadership, it's not just chief officers or deputies or assistants or even the middle management. Right? It's, it's throughout the service. Everyone can show leadership at their appropriate level. Um, obviously, leadership at the top comes more responsibility, more authority. So you, you have to do the right thing. But is that... Um, you know, too many times, and I also heard this when I was a chief fire officer, people would be scared to report something. Oh, mm. this is happening to me. Okay, right, I'm going to deal with that. Can you do it? No, I don't, I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to know that happened more than once. I want you to know this is happening to me. I will do, I will, that's the sort of thing I will sack people over. Well, no, I won't be able to give evidence because I might get ostracised. I might get vilified. I might, you know, I might not be able to attend my station. And if I, even if I do attend that station, the other station might. So, happened far too often, far too often, where people didn't feel able to speak out, didn't feel able to report it, certainly didn't feel able to go through the process because of what might happen to them personally. So that's that's a sort of you know. What, what we should be aiming for is everyone can be their true self at work. Yeah. You know, and not, you know, if you don't happen to talk about, you know, I happen to be a, a support a football club. If you don't happen to want to talk about that, it doesn't mean you're wrong. It's just different. So I think diversity of thoughts, uh, everyone, uh, diversity in all its levels, not just the protected characteristics of gender, race, you know, sexuality, those sorts of things, but also, if you prefer the ballet to the football, that's you know that should be accepted as well. So all sorts of diversity, uh, mm. and we need to accept that a lot more. Do you think? Um, do you think the issues that you that we're talking about in the fire service are specific to the fire service, or do you think they are reflective of what we see in in society and other other organisations in general? Yeah, it's it's not specific to the fire service. So you only have to read our reports on the police forces, on police forces, the constabularies at the moment. You only you know, have to mention the names, Wayne Cousins and Derek Carrick, and you know things aren't good. And, um, you know, the NHS is one of the most diverse organisations in the country, and there's still lots of reports of bullying and harassment and, you know, misogyny and these things going on. So it's not specific to the fire and rescue mm. service. Some of this is a societal problem. You know, you see the way people are, you know, treated, whether it's on social media or in the street, you know, these things. But what what gets me is it's actually not that hard to treat people with respect. It's not that difficult to treat people with respect and, and, and fairness. Uh, but there's all sorts of... You know, I don't want to just say the way, yeah, the, the way people live and the way people look at other people is is a societal issue as well as a fire and rescue service. But 
when you come to work and when you're serving the public and when you're dealing with vulnerable people, we should expect better standards from the people who work for the fire and rescue service. Yeah. The thing that is specific to the fire service, or not specific to, but specific to some organisations, including the fire service, is, um, as you alluded to before, is the, the kind of watch culture, mm-hmm. which is a great strength of the fire service. Certainly, you know, I, I, I'm on a watch and that's a great um, source of comfort and belonging to me. And I'm sure most fire, most firefighters feel the same, but it is different to working in an office, isn't it? Um, it's different when you go and do a 14-hour shift and you eat together and you sleep at work if, if if you get some downtime and you're out on jobs. For us. It is a different culture. And the, a watch culture, as much as it's a strength, can also be a weakness. Do you think that there's something in watch culture that makes us as a fire service susceptible to some of those toxic behaviours flourishing? Uh, I, I would agree with you on, on watches. I mean, I'd served uh, – my hardest move in the fire rescue service was leaving White Watch Hornsey to go and be a leading firefighter, as it was at the time, a crew commander at Holloway, just the next station down the road. But that was my hardest move because I I loved to watch it. Yeah, uh, And after that, all the other moves were easier. But I've also dealt with some very toxic – watches in the past and you know where the the strong personality of the firefighter that's been there for 20 years will override anything that the watch manager coming and going for a couple years or three years might try to change so that that's where watch cultures where people don't fit in and they run the watch culture and I, i won't mention the station but i remember one of my first times going back to a station after being in fire safety for a while and went to watch and they said uh Actually, I will name them. We're Soho, we don't drill, was their first response to me when I, I asked them. Great. <laughs> we, we, had, we had new hydraulic cutting equipment and I hadn't seen it before. So, can you get it out? And I'd you know, teach me to choke. We're Soho, we don't drill. Well, they did boots and leggings, slip and pitch to the third floor for three hours after that. They did, <laughs> yeah, did, drills, off. They did drills after that and then they expected to come to work and work. So, it's, you know, but something, you know, it, I'm not saying it would, but a different personality might have all, well, well, I don't want to rock the boat here. Perhaps we won't do the matter. Perhaps, you know, so it's difficult. It has changed. So, you know, the watch can be like a family, but how many dysfunctional families do you know? Yeah, well, absolutely. And I thought that um, in the LFB report, um, which, of course, kind of preceded and was is linked in a way to to the values and culture report there was a couple of really well the whole thing was astute but particularly astute observations in there i thought about this exact issue the kind of prevalence in the fire sector of alpha characters if you like uh, mm-hmm. big big personalities big characters and the role that they have in watch culture and in station culture and in the, in the informal leadership role that those those kind of um, charismatic characters have and I wonder how we can you know for for those of us that are entrenched in in watch culture how do we harness the real positive potential of those big charismatic characters while simultaneously dismantling the toxic elements of that without losing what makes fire service culture what it is it's, it's a difficult issue isn't it to not throw the baby out with the bathwater and make the mo- make the best 
of what makes us unique as a place to work. Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, the report doesn't say that we shouldn't have big characters and funny characters and we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't interact and that we don't need charismatic people. It's just, it's just that, um, and I'm not sure how you, you, you train this, but sometimes a bit of emotional intelligence. So your big character joking and laughing might be, might be really upsetting someone. And, you know, it just takes someone to know this and and it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to be called out, and it's, uh, but uh, just a little word by someone. Do you, do you know that upsets so and so? Or if you feel able, say, you know, I know you said this, but you know, it's not really because you know, you never know what's going on in other people's lives. You never know what might trigger something, and sometimes, you know, very often, uh, yeah, upsetting someone will be by mistake. I'm sure most people don't come to work to go and upset someone. Some some might, and from what we've seen. Some do, um, but ninety-eight um, percent of people won't. They come to work to do a good job, and they won't realise that they're upsetting someone. So sometimes it just takes a quiet word. And sometimes it just yeah, um, trying to check that emotional intelligence and um, and what you might think is banter, you know, getting a certain person on the watch to make the tea every time, or just take the Mickey out of the you know whatever, their car, the way they dress, the way they talk, anything, might just go a bit far for them sometimes. Just, just mm. a little bit of emotional intelligence. Yeah, and I think also it's about normalising emotional intelligence, isn't it? And normalising mm. saying something when you think someone's overstepped the mark without that being taken badly or in the wrong way, normalising standing up for each other um when when it's appropriate i mean that kind of brings me on to another point that i feel you know obviously women are still in the distinct minority um, Mm -hmm. in the fire service um so i guess i've got skin in the game in that regard but one thing i sort of feel personally i feel uncomfortable with in some of these um analyses of fire service culture is the real oversimplification of the problem um in, in political science you sort of talk about cross-cutting cleavages whereby people don't fit neatly into groups you know and in, if you apply that to the fire service um it would be easy to re- read a report it's not critical of your report but just generally it'd be easy it, generally it'd be easy to read a report and say oh dear in the fire service uh, women are vulnerable smaller you know weaker less inclined to do tough ops jobs you know need paternal protection are the ones that get harassed and and the culture we work in isn't that straightforward is it people fit into different categories and it's not as straightforward as there are goodies who need protecting and there are baddies who are doing the bad things sometimes people fit into more more than one of those categories one thing that worries me about trying to get to grips with this and this issue and doing it in the right way is that we don't accidentally demonize certain groups of firefighters and accidentally overprotect in a kind of paternalistic way other groups of firefighters because people don't fit neatly into those categories. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It's, you know, it doesn't, you know, it, and some of the things you're saying, and I know you don't, that's, you were just giving examples, but they're, they're the old cliches, aren't they? You know, Absolutely, they're, yeah. 
They're the cliches I used to hear when, uh, again, in London, working in the 80s and 90s. Oh, you know, such and such a, uh, an ethnic minority don't want to be this because they want to be lawyers. They won't wear uniforms. They don't, yeah, they're just yeah, generalisations and cliches that don't count to everyone. It's so sweeping. So, you know, and I, and I know you weren't saying this, but like, like saying every woman in the fire rescue service is bound to be a victim because there are women and there's only six percent mm. women in the fire service. That's just not true. I mean, you know, very capable and good women, and there, there's you know, men will get <clears throat> and white men will get bullied just as much as anyone else if you're in the wrong situation. Yeah, and I think that's oh, important. It's important to acknowledge that, isn't it? Because when you're having those, you know, like we're talking about having emotional intelligence and 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 knowing when to step in and say, you know, you said such and such and this person's upset. Those those difficult conversations, as, as you've mentioned before, need to apply to to everyone. So it's it's as appropriate to, to get yourself involved in a situation where you see one, you know, traditional firefighter upsetting another traditional firefighter. It's important that we acknowledge that we're not just protecting certain groups when we're talking about improving our values and culture. We're protecting all firefighters that should be able to come to work and be their whole self. Yeah, exactly what I said earlier. You need to, you know, you should be able to come to work and be your true self at work, whatever that is, and, and still be part of the team and value diversity in all its forms, not just in the protective characteristics. What role do you think that the trade unions like the FRSA should be playing in this process right now? Well, I, I think that yeah, trade unions have got a, a very important part to play and they should be demonstrating the values and behaviours that we talk about in our report. They should be treating people with respect. They should be treating different views with respect. You know, and you will have a point of view. A, a discussion will be had. Uh, you might differ in your point of view, but you can differ in your point of view with respect. You don't have to, you know, ostracise, vilify, you know, take it out on other people with a different view. Yeah. And how do you think the trade unions should be engaging specifically on these matters? Should the trade unions be, you know, dissecting your report and acting specifically upon it as a as a partner? How do you how do you anticipate trade unions getting involved and making these changes in a practical way? Well, I'm, I'm certainly hoping that, you know, th this report will be discussed in, yeah, there's regular for forums of the trade unions at all sorts of levels, and this report will be discussed about how things can be improved together. Again, not saying it, it all needs to change everywhere, but how things can be improved. Mm. Uh, and what uh, shouldn't happen is the finger is pointed at, any one set of leaders or any one set of individuals uh, that are either accused of carrying out all the bullying and harassment and all the other things or need fully protecting, as you, you say, you know, you know, we need to protect that group in particular. It needs to go across the board. So, you know, uh, talking about how trade unions can play their role and how they demonstrate the same values and behaviours. Yeah. Um, in the report, you talk about two two concepts, one of promising practice and one of innovative practice yes. in terms of things that are being done, I guess, experimentally and then things that are having measurable change. Mm -hmm. Can you give us some examples of the kind of things that you've seen that are 
promising and innovative and that should be you know repeated around the country yes we give some examples in the report we give you some examples about how um you know, diverse recruitment has worked better than in other areas i mean it's it's tough and that's all that's been a tough nut to crack for a long time now uh, and i'm, I'm yeah, I'll put my hands up. One of those people try to make that change and never succeed as much as I wanted to. Yeah, made some improvements, never succeeded as much as I wanted to. But other examples of how, you know, just good communication and saying what you mean and being visible as a leader you know, helps with the culture. So, you know, uh, th- those sorts of examples. So what we're trying to do, and we've worked very closely with National Fire Chiefs Council, is is start to build a bank of not just in this area, but in all areas of, you know, whether it's protection or prevention or response or efficiency of where we see uh, innovative or promising, in old terms, good practice that can be spread and people can adopt or uh, adapt as they need to in their own services. Yeah, I know you were keen not to um, point the finger at, apart from the, the services that are, are having to have particular measures put in place, but you didn't want to make me too personal about services that weren't doing a good job. But can are there any particular services that that are offering routinely offering good practice in values and culture that other services should be seeking to emulate? Yeah, I'm always uh, I'm always a bit resistant to name services just like that because there's always another service, and I've seen this far too often. It says, yeah, we do that as well. We've done it for ten years more than them, and we're a bit better at it than them. But you know, uh, your own service has got good grades at that. We got, you know, Kent has as well. Essex had some problems, but it's starting to improve. But I think there's there's, there's a number. Uh, you know, a, a, across the country that are doing well in this and are improving. But there's also, I know, uh, efforts with the, the Code of Ethics and misconduct and, and things where people should work together. And we're urging the Chiefs, National Fire Chiefs Council, the, the fire authorities, the employers, the unions to all work together on this home office as well, Fire Standards Board to work together. You know, it's, it's something I, I can't see how anyone would object to having a culture where everyone feels valued at work and diversity is valued at work and it will improve and no one people don't go home dreading going back to the, the workplace wherever that is the next day can't see how yeah. people can object to that and uh, why we wouldn't all work together to make sure that happens absolutely but the thing that pe- people aren't going to object to that are they but people do find change difficult Yes. Even positive change can be difficult, particularly in organisations which haven't traditionally embraced change, maybe at the same pace as some other organisations. Change is always going to be difficult for some people, isn't it? And that has to be kind of accepted and worked around, I guess, um, ultimately. Which which non-fire organisations do you think have done a good job of, of modernising um, in the way that we might seek to do so are there examples of best practice from other other corners of the world i think again we give some examples of good practice in some areas of other organizations i don't think anyone's cracked it completely you know you get too many reports coming out and even with ourselves you know we we inspect at a moment in time we gather evidence but it doesn't mean to say there's not something poor or bad that's happened in the service somewhere. Uh, so uh, we give some examples from the NHS uh, and the, the examples from other organisations, but I don't think 
no one's truly cracked because as we said it's a societal problem isn't it it's not mm. just a, a specific problem but uh, mm. um and unfortunately we don't expect anyone else so i haven't got evidence from other organizations do you think that there'll be a natural pace of change anyway because the retirement profile of fire services generally is such that there is currently a lot of turnover isn't there as people are retiring and the new generation of firefighters that are going through their recruits courses recently are are just more diverse will this begin to change at a quicker pace more naturally do you think because of that will it gather some momentum uh i hope so but i'm not convinced we could just rely on turnover to do this we need to give people the training and the insight and make sure they understand the values and behaviours, the code of ethics and things are, that are expected of them. Because again, I've seen far too often where, you know, brand new people join the service, you know, spouting the same thing, meet them on the station 18 months later and you would have thought they've done 20 years and everything in the world is absolutely wrong because they've listened yeah. to everyone on that particular watch. Yeah, conformity descends upon people sometimes, doesn't it? Even if yeah, they have joined, um, joined, joined with with diversity. How do you? How would you like to think that firefighters are sort of interacting with your report on stations? What do you think is a is a kind of healthy way for for crews to to be engaging with this? I'd, yeah, um, I'd like to think that you know. Even if they've not read the report themselves, as you know, they've seen the recommendation, they can have that sorts of discussion. Um, I might be being over cynical, but I suspect there's quite a few don't even know the report exists. So I'd like to think that it is communicated to them in some way, you know, hopefully from their chief fire officers and hopefully from fire authorities and even the unions. And, you know, there's an open conversation about this. You know, is it, you know, that, that's so examination that self-question as well is it happening here is, you know, is it something we can do how can we help improve i would like to think that would happen i'm not convinced it would happen everywhere yeah well it's happened on our watch um we we sat down around the brew table and uh i i'd read the report anyway so i kind of talked through some of my i did a few bullet points basically um mm-hmm. and then we talked about some of those issues as they pertain to us and sort of try to self-reflect a bit about if we thought, you know, some of the things were like, well, I don't think we do that. And then other things we kind of talked about in a bit more depth. So I think if, if even some watches spend 20 minutes having those conversations, then it's done, made some difference, hasn't it? Yes, it does. And I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that. This, the other aspect of this, this is the first time a report like this has been done by the inspector. We've had Bain and Thomas and other types of reports from you know, people who were brought in to do a specific, specific job. But it's the first time what we call a spotlight report has been done by the inspectorate on fire rescue services. So hopefully it does create some conversations. Yeah, and it makes a difference if you've got the, the history in the organisation, doesn't it, as well? Because you can bring... Uh, an experience to it that is difficult I think to get from from just people on the outside you've done a lot of a lot of uh, civvy media interviews when yes. this report first came out you were omnipresent for a couple of days there um what were your reflections after that as to how you thought this report was received 
um, by the mainstream media and the their kind of feelings about the service that we provide and the culture that we work within. Yeah, I think it's um, it's it's interesting. Uh, this goes. I'll, I'll take you back, not just as rule. So when I was NFCC chair and the, and the inspector was just coming back, uh, I can remember in a speech to colleagues me saying, "How are you all going to feel when you're told you're not as good as you think you are?" Uh, because that was bound to happen in some way, shape, or form, uh, and it has happened to other services more than some. Uh, so I, I think there's this there's this general field a fire and rescue service um, always does a really good job it's always you know it's almost this hero image in uh, so um and there's no fire still burning and most people don't have contact with the fire and rescue service and you're you're a professional as well i've seen videos of some fires and thinking well what are they why are they spraying water on that thatch why are they squirting the water the wrong way and pushing the fire into the building not out of the you you as a professional would have seen things like that so but no one else knows this is like this sure so i think I, I thought it would make it would get some publicity just because of what's been happening in policing and elsewhere uh and um some of the reports some of the most of the reporting was very measured i thought and, you know and i had the opportunity to correct some of the you know it's on every fire station uh some of the reporting inevitably was a bit sensationalist, you know, bullying and harassment on every fire station. Never, the report doesn't say that. I've never said that. And certainly press releases don't say that, you know, um, making sure that we understand that, you know, the vast majority of people in the fire service still do an excellent job every day, day in, day out. So I think it, it, overall, I think it got uh, the right and measured response. It needed highlighting, but it didn't need to be sensationalised. Mm. Yeah. Uh, just one last thing and then I'll let you uh, go because uh, I have taken plenty of your time already but when you when you look at the the, sort of the measure of your experience uh, the ver- in the various many and various posts that you've been in, in in the fire service and then you conducted this spotlight report which has obviously given you a different perspective on the on this information and this in this industry what is your hope for where the fire service goes now with the changes that we know are coming, you know, the white paper, potentially a new college, the work the NFCCC is doing, the new inspectorate. Where do you think in the in the near future, should we say, this sector can go with these improvements? What can the fire sector look like? Uh, right. It's interesting. First of all, uh, excellence in the core role, so prevention, protection, response, resilience, those sorts of things. Um, <clears throat> so doing that. But I think the fire service can also add a lot more value to society and things, you know, whether it's emergency medical response or some of the other things. You know, the, I think uh, there's so many professionals and so many skills in the fire rescue service. I think it's an underutilised resource. I think you can do better. And, and I think, it, you know, becoming a job of choice for many more people, it's, you know, uh, I don't know if you feel the same, but I, I've enjoyed the vast majority of my career. It's given me fantastic opportunities. Uh, it was a great career to do. And I, I think that that um, 
experience shouldn't be seem to be denied to some people. I think it's something I spoke. Um, we had Black History Month uh, talk within the inspectorate, and uh, um, Claudette, the woman who was running it, yeah, you know, grew up in Brixton and things. And so I asked her. I said, "Did did any member of your family ever think about joining the fire rescue service?" And, and she literally said, "It's something we never spoke about. We just didn't talk about it. We talked about the police a lot." growing up in, in Brixton in the 80s and things like that, never talked about a fire service. And if we ever did see a fire engine, we just saw people in uniform. It was just part of the establishment. So how we break down those barriers, how we get people you know, to join as a job of choice and continue to add value to what the fire rescue service does now is where I want us to go. Yeah, that's really exciting, certainly for us, well, me personally, um, but and for us as the FRSA, because as a trade union, we, you know, we consider ourselves to be progressive and modernising and fully support understanding how we as a profession can add more value to communities, mm-hmm. um, add, more, add more value to the people that we already serve and use our time and skills better to to achieve those goals um so i think that was a is a really exciting future to 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 look out for and would also attract more people in itself wouldn't it the more the more we can Mm -hmm. do to help attract attract more people um well thank you so much for taking the time today really interesting to get your perspective so thank you thank you very much If you enjoyed this episode of Priority Message, why not subscribe to the podcast and recommend to your colleagues? We hope you will be joining us again soon.